Welcome to New Black City. This is our, obviously, our first episode. So we're, we're getting our kinks worked out. I'm Sheena Collier. I am the founder and CEO of the Collier Connection. And I'm Dominique Aubrey. And I am the founder and CEO of the Black Women's Guide. Black, New Black City is a show we wanted to create to have a conversation, a civic discourse around this question of what new ways are Black people building community across the country to build community and create solutions, um, building economic, social, and political capital. Both Dom and I are Black millennials. Black millennials are 14% of the millennial population and 25% of the total U.S. Black population. So a a lot of our guests will be Black millennials um, who are changing the way we think about careers, family, physical spaces, etc., Oh, sure. Yeah. And so this conversation really started, I can really get this together, really, mm-hmm. uh, started really from a stat we saw from the Institute for Policy Studies that shared that by 2053, the median income um, or the median wealth for Black families would be uh, zero, uh, which is pretty stark. So to us, um, this means that, you know, we have to have some new, bold and innovative ways to sustain our community um, and move past kind of just surviving into really thriving um, for this new century. So um, that is really how we conceptualize New Black City. So we're excited for you guys to join us basically uh, every other week uh, here on Boston Free Radio uh, as we share our own stories and the stories of other uh, Black millennials who are making change in their cities all over the country. And for those of you all who are hip, um, hopefully you get to play on words for New Black City and New Jack City, um, which New Jack City was actually quite the opposite. It was about not building up Black communities, at least not, that's not the way I took it, uh, maybe for some folks in the community. So, you know, shout out to the 80s babies, people that um, grew up in that era and, and understand and have seen the movie. Um, we're just playing on the name um, really to, to get you all interested, but also to spark some conversation. Um, before we get into our first topic, though, we want to make sure that you know all the ways to tune in and how to watch and listen live. So obviously on our Facebook channel, which is New Black City, or if you're um, at NewBlackCity.co, we'll, we'll always do our shows live again every other week. On the weeks that we're not doing live, um, the, sh- the show from the past week will play as a rerun on Boston Free Radio. Um, we also hope at some point to do other live Instagram, YouTube, et cetera. But um, we got to figure this out. We're taking this baby step. So one step at a time. Um, and then the week after each live show, you'll be able to find um, a podcast link. So we'll have the site up after today's show, newblackcity.co. Um, and you'll be able to find the podcast that'll list all the shows. Um, you'll be able to give us your email so that you can stay up to date with what's going on um, with our shows and find out who the next guests are. And then also we like you to follow us on our social media channels. So Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook are all newblackcity.co. So as we get ready to welcome our first guest, we wanted to start with a topic. So again, we want to have fun and we want to spark some conversation, but we also know that there are important topics in our community that we want to bring to the forefront and have conversation around. So today we wanted to discuss gentrification, really loaded topic, a lot of different views around it. So we wanted to start with sharing the actual Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. So I'm going to read it here. So gentrification is the process of repairing and building homes and businesses in a deteriorating area, such as an urban neighborhood, accompanied by an influx of middle class or affluent people 
and that often results in the displacement of earlier, usually poorer residents. So I know in the circle of folks that I've talked to, um, that's usually what we think about when we hear it. There's definitely some disagreement out there. Uh, people will try to interchange gentrification and development um, and sometimes make the conversation about people feeling like development is bad. And I don't, um, in my personal opinion, I don't think that's really the issue. We all want to see our communities grow. We don't want to see places deteriorate or continue to deteriorate. Um, we want to make sure that there's new development. I think the concern is that uh, a lot of times that's happening kind of on the at the um, detriment of people that have been there for a longer time. Um, I just saw someone's question on Facebook Live about Instagram. Is Instagram Live working? Not today. We're not doing the Instagram Live. So hopefully you'll stay here with us on Facebook. We'll try to do some stories throughout. I don't know if we're quite that coordinated yet. Um, but right now, Facebook Live. There's also bostonfreeradio.com. Um, so that's another way that you can listen in. So again, gentrification, topic of the night, you know, making sure that we're clear about what that actually means. It's, it's not just about development. It's development that actually displaces people. Um, so Dom, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on, on what you think about that definition and just uh, your perspective or maybe experiences with it. Yeah, sure. I think um, and it's exciting, it's exciting to talk to um, our guest tonight who's really trying to address the gentrification issue in her um, home city. I think the interesting thing about the definition uh, is that in reality, people have kind of, you know, decided kind of how they how they feel about it based on their understanding of that definition. When we look at Black communities over history, what we kind of see um, is that we've always been displaced at some point, we're always like rebuilding community wherever we go. And I always think to myself, you know, the, the excuse for gentrification is like, oh, well, you know, the area is dilapidated. There's nothing there. We can go in there with cheaper prices. We can build something beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people that live there can't afford it. Right. But when I think about like, I live out in the Malden area, but like by Saugus Revere, there's a, mm. a Walmart out there. Mm. That Walmart looks like Nordstrom's from the outside, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just Walmart. And then right next to them is a, there's a McDonald's with the, like the old school car, like the big kind of like old school 50s cars or okay. whatever in a big playground. Mm -hmm. And so it made me think about like this kind of like the story or this delusion. It's like, oh, well, why is the Walmart over here have a whole different facade mm -hmm. than the Walmart over here? Mm -hmm. And so this whole story of like, Oh, well, in these areas that are being gentrified, those folks have no money. I'm like, well, I think everyone's shopping at TJ Maxx, whether you live in assembly right. or you live in Dorchester. And I think that's just a, a kind of a, it's a fake story near that's being built mm. to make an excuse for why people are getting moved out right. of their, of their home. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, we've used it to make all sorts of different excuses for why things are the way they are when the underlying reason is, is always the same underlying reason. Yeah, money. <laughs> People that want to want to make more money, and yeah, I've I've done a lot of organizing throughout my fifteen or so years in Boston, and have literally seen Boston completely change uh, over the last fifteen years, and you know have even been involved in some really um, contentious projects that were the unfortunate thing I think that ends up happening is because people don't want to be displaced, they actually fight development, which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so you almost have this twisted thing that ends up happening where people are fighting to keep their neighborhood not nice because they don't want other people to move in and take it. And it's just a really unfortunate and, you know, the processes that I've been a part of, it's really broken my heart to see people not want something that looks better because 
that's a signal to them immediately that that means that this is not for us. It's also a weird signal to say that like we don't deserve something that looks slightly better. Right. Like that that assumes something. It's like, you know, I don't think the folks that live in on Route One of Fasagas, because there's like trailer parks over mm-hmm. there and different things, I don't really think they're living a whole different life than other folks in the city. But yet they're having all these things that make them look like they're living a different life. And right. so it's about the value mm-hmm. of human life. It's like you just you just feel like, well, the poor Sagist person deserves this kind of experience mm. where the poor Mattapan person deserves this kind of experience. Mm. And they just decided that. Right. And this is like a fake narrative that they've built. And so yeah. we then internalize it. And then we kind of, we try to keep things the way we, we keep them to kind of hedge people from getting into our spaces. But right. in reality, it's like, where did that even come from? Yeah. Like, why is that even there? Yeah. Um, well, there are, um, you know, Boston is definitely in the greater Boston area is, an example of this, but we know what's happening all over the country. I mean, it's, um, I don't, I personally don't think I go a week without talking about gentrification with someone. Um, and our guest tonight is also someone that is thinking about it. She's in another part of the country, but it's thinking about not only what these problems are, but what are some of the solutions that we can, um, do as young black people that are really starting to come into our own and, and run cities. Um, so we'll, um, introduce her and then, um, so I'll just give a quick overview of who she is. Her name is Bianca Jackson. She's a brand and storytelling consultant who decided that creating a, a new physical space, her response to gentrification in the Canton neighborhood of Baltimore. So we're going to bring her on now. We're going to find her and discuss her mission and her work, including the opening of Brick Rose Exchange, which will be opening this year. So we are, um, we're still trying to get our guests in, but if for you all that missed kind of the beginning of it, we were starting to talk about gentrification um, and just the impact that it's having, kind of people's different views on gentrification versus development and whether those are the same thing, which by definition they're not, but the way that people use it, use those words. And so Bianca Jackson, who's our guest, um, we're trying to reach her. But in the meantime, just wondering if folks have questions. You can definitely type them in. Bianca's dope, but Dom and I are dope too. So we can answer your questions too. <laughs> but no, wanted to get get thoughts on, you know, in Boston and other places around the country, like what's not just the impact, because I think that, and people are, are welcome to share that, but I think we hear a lot about kind of the horror stories or the bad stories, but are there responses to it that people are seeing that have been successful, um, because that's really a lot of what we want to talk about. Um, our issues were really solutions and how are, what is the role of us as black people, black millennials, the black community to really address these issues so that we're building and rebuilding economic and social and political capital. Um, so for folks that are online, please, if you have questions or comments, send them, send them in. Thank you, Andy, the Queens of Small Media. <laughs> Thank you. Um, trying to be. So we're we're going to continue to um, to hunt down Bianca. But I wanted to, um, yeah, just kind of open the floor for folks if you had any questions um, or any comments and or, you know, we did a quick introduction of ourselves, but we can also, I was actually on my way here listening to like people's first podcast episodes oh, to be like, what do the people do on their first episode? And, you know, typically people are taking a lot of time and space to talk about who they are and kind of why they're doing this and what they're doing. So we can also do that as well while we're trying to get to Bianca. Like Harlem and split it to these two areas. And it's like, you know, um, by Lynn and like uh, Linfield mm-hmm. now they're, they're doing the same thing so mm-hmm. it used to be Lynn 
Massachusetts now it's like there's a Lynn Field, which oh, is not, yeah. not a separate town, just like Lynn, but it's like the area, right? right. So they like gentrified it, but gentrification, I feel like goes is an economic issue mm-hmm. to your point because it's which has racial implications. Yeah, but it's like if you can't afford to live in these like mega cities, like cities are kind of starting to get rigged. It's like mm. by access and, and information and wealth and whatever, and so it's like if you just don't make that much money, period. Like you're just going to get pushed out right. and then just disproportionately impacts people of color, but, or just like black and brown communities. But in general, it's like, that's the sliding scale. And you see it in Seattle, you see it in Boston, you see it in Austin, you're seeing it starting in, up in Miami, you're seeing it starting you know, all these places that would be secondary kind of hubs outside of like New York, San Francisco, LA, Chicago. And so I think it's, it's an interesting time and issue because it has a, it has a lot of different, it comes from a lot of different places. It's not just one reason why it's happening. Right. You know, it's like coming from all these places. And so how do you, um, I have a friend of mine who sits on, sits on like the, the housing um, zoning board in Brooklyn. Mm. And so and she's up in there like all the time, like fighting huge developers, like not nah, like we're not doing this, but I'm thinking to myself like, holy crap. Right. Like, that was first of all, it's exhausting. Yeah. But like how, how much, like, are you just in a weird way? Cause they have so much information, access and money. By every time you stop them, are you just giving them a new way to circumvent you? Like, are they learning something new every time they do it and they just know that they can out? Well, they're learning something new. They're finding what something I've seen is they'll then find allies or people. They're like, okay, so you're not going to listen to me. So I'm going to hire someone that you actually trust to be part Mm -hmm. of my team. And I'll let them be the face of this project. Mm -hmm. And so that happens a lot. You know, you see developers make these kind of small... um, What's the word? Give out kind of like consolation prizes. I mean, there is a such thing as community benefits and you can create a community benefits agreement where you actually say to the neighborhood says, this is if you're going to come, this is what we want. And um, my feeling those are important. But I think in the long run, what they end up getting giving up versus what they gain, them and the developers is there's not even a comparison Um, there. There is, though, some merit in there are some things that we are not going to stop. And so particularly depending on what point you find out about it. So mm-hmm. something that frustrates me is a lot of time we don't find out until we actually see something physically going up. By the time that's happened, there's been a, years of conversation before right. that. And so figuring out, you know, if you are starting to become aware at the point where you're not going to stop it from happening, how do you make sure your community benefits from it? And what are the ways that folks that are there can actually get something out of this, the space that's being created? But I, I think that, you know, community groups that are not just fighting, but informing the rest of the community, right. um, because a lot of times those zoning meetings, I mean, I have seen zoning meetings or zoning um, processes where if enough people from a neighborhood show up, and they, um, particularly if they are accompanied by institutions that 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 city really respects, they will halt something, or you know, or they will at least delay it or open up more room for community engagement. So it it really is um, it's a monster though. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a big it thing. A yeah, it's just like a large. I'm gonna kind of throw it back something that's like not gentrification related, but I think the story still kind of proves true. Like back in the day in in Haiti, like when they were fighting the slave revolts and they had, you know, mixed with all the different groups. And so there was like um, all these different kind of factions of Haitians um, based on skin color because they kind of did what they did mm-hmm. in South Africa. Um, 
the amount of like just reneging that they did mm-hmm. in terms of the French, in terms of like we're going to partner with you so to get this, and then once we get that thing, we're we're going to talk right. to the wolves. And they did it. What was fascinating to me about that, and I don't have all the details and facts, and I wish to get them and we'll share them, but. That happened a couple times. So it's like a fascinating thing because to your point of like getting someone kind of like to be the face of something, right? So you can give them some leverage. Um, like that's been happening for a long time. And we as people, as black people have been accepting that reality. Mm. They're like, we know you're lying to us, but we're going to kind of get what we want from it in the short term mm. where we're taking a long term mm. L over and over. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it kind of struck me was like, I don't know what, where I was reading this thing. It's a pretty contentious comment, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna paraphrase it because I remember where I got it. But it, 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 it was basically like, oh, I was watching this documentary on um, on uh, esoteric, like uh, kind of um, naturalism in Africa, um, and the woman was saying like we still believe we're slaves. Like, even though we're not, mm-hmm. we mentally still feel like we've already lost, like we're never going to win. So mm-hmm. we've like, we've, we've given up these, this certain belief that it's possible to create the shift. And so what you end up with is like the WD, uh, WB Du Bois versus the Booker T. Washington right. discussion. But that shows up there in that moment when the person could have said, I'm not going to partner with you because I know it's kind of shady, but they're like, actually, I'm going to get mine real quick because we that's the best possible way we have because we fundamentally believe it. Um, as well. So, hi, Bianca. Hello. She's, uh, hi. Can you hear you? Let me get the sound up. Give me one second. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> you Unfortunately, doing? I still got like the same time crunch, so I'm not sure how that's gonna work. Okay. Um, we can just jump in. Yeah. Um, tell us how much time you have, and we'll make it work. I have until maybe like eight twenty or so. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I think so. Cool. That'll be fine. Well, thank you so much for for being flexible. We had, but we already did some introduction of you and wanted to, we were having this conversation about gentrification in communities and kind of people that are creating solutions and was kind of the way we were framing our conversation with you. But actually, um, we wanted to back up a little and um, ask you as a first question, as a brand storyteller, as a entrepreneur and as someone that is what keeps me up at night i would say that community of color uh, communities of color uh basically miss out on resources Mm. there's tons of money tons of programs initiatives things out there to help us build the things that we want to build save the things that we want to save and just continually missing out on those opportunities so i'm hoping you know through the space being able to bring more awareness to the things to those resources to those initiatives that really could help us you know build the things that we want to build so that mm-hmm. primarily keeps me up at night i mean even with burke rose i'm like all right how i'm going to fund this thing you know how can i find other people to like really <laughs> invest in it and beyond just me personally but yeah that's what keeps me up at night sometimes what do you so I think um, it'll be interesting to hear your take on what is the issue? What is the reason for that? Why don't we know <laughs> that these things are off? Um, I think sometimes just not knowing where to go to get information, right? Or how to fill out the paperwork. I mean, even, you know, filling out the administrative stuff for Brick Rose and dealing with the city. I'm like, okay, I don't know what all this stuff means. So now I have to go call someone. I need to go find someone else who's been through the process. But really understanding how to fill it out appropriately and to, to get access to the resources. So I think sometimes it's just awareness. It could just be a, a knowledge gap. But, you know, some of the, those are some of the things that I think are, you know, standing in the way. So you have this, um, you have this phrase on Brick Rose Exchange on your site, uh, in your crowdfunding campaign around commerce, community, and culture coexisting in harmony. 
I was like, she's definitely a storyteller. That's a, it's a great um, um, tagline, but can you just talk about it a little bit more? Sure. Um, when you think about redevelopment, development, whatever you want to call it, gentrification, whatever you want to dress it up with, is this idea that, you know, sometimes people think that you can't do good business and still care about people at the same time, preserving culture. And I think that you can is a very delicate balance, but it, it takes people wanting to um, want to acknowledge that there is potentially a problem of overrunning culture, um, that you can do good business and just being good students of it. So, you know, how can you consciously, you know, be business people, you know, have kind of like this social impact, but then also make money and help people at the same time. So it's a delicate balance. I know that um, there was a kind of confluence of things that came together that kind of launched you into uh, exchange, a brick rose exchange. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about kind of why you decided to do it, why now? And some, you know, in, in terms of what you're hoping to see from it over the next year. I know there's lots going on right now in your world around it as well. Yeah, I would say what was sparked to do it now was literally a conversation. Uh, sometimes uh, we get the biggest dreams just by talking to other people about what we want to do. This idea started very small. Uh, it was to buy a building and to have a space where people could do pop up shops. And I knew that at some point in my life, I wanted to have a nonprofit, but I didn't think right now was a good time to run a nonprofit. So I said, well, how can I mix my dream of, you know, kind of having this commercial building, helping other people with space, but then also supporting nonprofits in a way. And it kind of grew into this. Uh, if you had asked me last year, if I thought I would be moving to Baltimore and doing something called Burke Rose Exchange, I would have been like, not at all. <laughs> my plan was to move to Charlotte and buy a multifamily house. But, you know, in a conversation with um, a friend of mine that I, I ran into at a conference, I was telling him all the different things that I had in my mind of what I wanted to do. And it grew into this really grand idea. So it happens that, you know, Baltimore is a really good place to do it because it's one of two major U.S. cities with a population of less than a million or about a million where the population keeps declining. And when you start really mm -hmm. digging into to why that's happening in Baltimore. I mean, there's tons of things, you know, unjust um, political systems, social systems. Uh, there's about 16,000 vacant lots and building in the city. The city and the federal government is trying to do whatever they can to solve this problem. But the only thing they're really doing is throwing money at it. So I think the part that they're really missing is that, as you know, building any type of business, you need networks. You need networks, you need resources. And if you don't have those things, no power of money is going to help you build the thing that you want to build. So um, I lived in Maryland, specifically outside of D.C. for about the last 13 years. And I would have never guessed in a million years that I would have ended up in Baltimore. But I'm here. I'm listening to God's words, you know, listening to the dreams and just really trying to follow that and, and, and be faithful to the path that's set out for me, even if I don't have all the, the answers for it yet. Hmm. I was actually, so you mentioned, mentioned listening to God's word, because I was actually going to ask you, like, so what made you feel like this was for you to do? You know, you just mentioned a couple of other paths that you were ready to take, um, that you thought you were about to take. Um, I'm sure there are easier things you could be doing with, with more of a return or maybe even, you know, because, you know, they're opening a space, really um, challenging kind of powers that be is, is no easy thing. And uh, for someone to take that on as part of their cause or part of their life, um, you know, it's not, you don't have to do that. So 
what do you, what do you, where do you feel like this falls into your plan? Um, well, it falls into my plan uh, in a couple of different ways. For the longest time, I really thought that I would stay in corporate and work my way up the ladder like everyone thinks, right? So I was in technology. I was going to be a CTO. Then I was going to try to be a CIO and then eventually a CEO. And the closer and closer that I got to C-level leadership within, you know, um, Fortune 500 companies, I realized that it just wasn't the environment that I wanted to be in. And then I just started to figure out what else can I do with my life? What else is going to bring me happiness? What's going to bring me purpose? And then I started like, okay, I'm going to start my own consulting company. So I did that. And, you know, working online, I didn't have like a physical space other than like my home office. And, you know, the more and more that I started to do my consulting business, I realized that there was a common theme that sometimes people just don't have space. Mm -hmm. They don't have space to test out the ideas. They don't have space to have conversations. Sometimes they don't feel like the spaces that they do have, you know, foster those conversations. So all of that together kind of helped led me down a path of creating Brick Rose Exchange of, you know, being this place, this convening space that, you know, you have social entrepreneurs testing out their products. You have, you know, community organizers you know, pulling the community together for some cause of some sort. You have, you know, purpose-driven professionals really trying to, I don't know, contribute to society in some way. So they could just be, you know, I want to have a discussion about like racial profiling. Like I really want this place to be a hub where people can feel like they can give, give to it. They can take from it, but overall we're all improving the condition of humanity. And that's literally the underlying Mm. thing of what it is. And it fits into my life plan because I'm finally at a point in my life where I realized happiness is going to come from some really purpose, me working every day towards that. I've been through the whole, you know, I have my house and I have my car and I have a really nice job and I wear nice clothes. That's great. But now I'm at the point I'm almost, I wouldn't say almost like hippie like, but I'm kind of there (laughs) where I just really want to help the world heal. And I think that this is my contribution. And I welcome anybody who wants to join that of having a space, having a community where you can have really sensitive dialogue. So one of the things that I'm working on is an art installation with a local artists in Baltimore and it's going to be like a week-long thing and we're going to talk about all types of topics you know feminism womanism you know um, racial profiling like anything that just kind of happens to come up as she's painting so she's going to start the installation on a Saturday we're going to finish on a Friday and every day is going to be a different conversation around some topics so this is kind of like one of the the signature of, I'm not going to say signature probably one of the starting events because I want people to feel like this is a space that if I want to finally have some of those hard conversations, we can go here and have it while, you know, you know, we could be talking about culture. So I've been playing with some ideas about what to do for like Black History Month. Uh-huh. And it's just like, I don't want to do the same old thing, but right. I want to do something that's going to impact the community of where the building is. So hmm. I can talk about this for. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important. Really it's I'm just important. really excited to be here. Thank you. No, and we're excited. I mean, physical space is important. You know, the, um, It's beyond a building. It's really when people have safe spaces to talk about the things that they that are impacting them or that they want to ideate around or just maybe just see people (laughs) that they um, wouldn't normally see on a daily basis to really have really enriching dialogue. You know, that is hard to come by. Like once you get out of school or, or if you've never gone to kind of a university type of like, where do you where are the spaces for you to do that? That really you can find like-minded folks or even find people that you don't agree with that you can have more civic conversation with. 
and civil. Yeah. And I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping that we have civic and civil conversations. I think what's happening now, there's a lot of people talking, but a lot of people aren't listening. Mm. And, you know, we kind of stick to the same people who have the same ideologies as us. And I'm really hoping that people, when they walk through the door, they're willing to be open. Of course, you don't want anybody just disrespectful walking around with magna hats. Um, we, We don't want that. But like, just really, you know, open to being respectful. I think that's probably the most important thing. Uh, and so you mentioned how you're not religious, but you're spiritual. I thought your sports necklace. I'm not rocking mine right now, but uh, I was like, I get it. I want to know what your thoughts were about church as a space used for civic dialogue and conversation and how these new spaces that we're creating as millennials, how do you think that's either replacing or supporting or working with this kind of other model we've had historically having these dialogues? Uh, do you use the new church? You know, that is a very interesting question. I would say this. I think that is an opportunity to partner, right? Like you can take some of the conversations that you have in church and maybe have a different vantage point on it, have a different vantage point on it where you can bring it in a more social space and maybe hit it from, you know, some a conversation affecting a specific marginalized community, right? I think that there are some people who are very comfortable with having conversations in church because their basis, their foundation is really strong and rooted in religion. And, you know, sometimes people can only have conversations through that vantage point or there's people who are religious that are like, I can kind of put my faith to the side and still have different context. It could work together. It could not. It just really, I think it depends on the person and, and how committed they are to being open to, you know, just really hearing different sides of, you know, any argument or discussion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, that's definitely something I think as millennials are less church bound, mm-hmm. where do we actually convene? Yes. Right? It's, it's, it's an issue that we're trying to solve, solve yeah. around what you're solving in Baltimore. Um, So I had a question around, um, as I mentioned before you got on, we were talking a lot about gentrification. Do you see this space as a a response to gentrification that's going on in Baltimore? And how have the the local residents responded to this this movement, really? Oh, yeah. So I do see it as a response to gentrification. Um, One of the biggest things, or at least one of the conversations that I had today was actually how to get the local community uh, more involved in and aware of the space. So I haven't officially opened it yet. So I'm literally in the deconstruction phase. I'm not sure if you saw on Instagram, but I've been trying to like post pictures to like, you know, have people walk along the journey with us as we, you know, deconstruct, do deconstruction and do renovation in the space. Um, when it comes to gentrification, especially when it comes to Baltimore, like I said, you know, the city has about 16,000 um, vacant lots and buildings. And a really surprising thing about that is 75% of them are privately owned. Now, like, like, just think about this, right? You live on a block, let's just say you're one of two homes that actually have families in it and everything else is boarded up. And you automatically assume that no one lives there because they haven't done any, anything with it. You haven't seen anybody outside the property, inside the property, nothing. But to find out that, you know, let's just say of the 10 houses, the 10 empty houses on the block, about seven or eight of them are owned by someone who's just not doing anything about it. One of the things that I definitely want to do in a space is just help people um, really understand the, the statistics and the, the, the backstory of what's happening in their neighborhood because I think sometimes they don't. And then once they understand 
understand that, you know, it's, it's not as hopeless as it seems like someone owns it. They're holding on to it for whatever reason. You got to find their motivation. You got to kind of like pluck their heartstrings in, in a second because of or, you know, you got to put their heartstrings whenever you can. But, you know, just really hopefully being able to meet them at some point, um, finding out other programs that you can do or, you know, just partnering with different organizations who are trying to do really great things. Unfortunately, what the local government here in Maryland is doing is that they're investing millions just to knocking down whole blocks. Mm. And. I'm like, okay, so you have all this money to knock down the buildings. That's great. But what do you do with all the people who still live there? So I want to, one, work with those um, citizens and also organizations that are helping those citizens stay in their homes. But then also the flip side of it is working with the politicians, working with the developers of figuring out, you know, there's always multiple ways to solve a problem. How can we solve this problem together? So I really want this space to be that. So working on both side i don't want to say the owl because i don't want to make it like super political but both sides of the coin how do you help and how do you educate both sides to kind of come up with a better solution just a question are you are you saying that for the houses that people privately own that they're like individuals who just couldn't afford it and they've been boarded up for generations like their family homes or are you think or is it like a developer went and bought those homes and just has done nothing with them i'm gonna say it's probably more of the former the former where people have lived in their homes and they just have it and you know maybe they're keeping up with the taxes maybe they're not some some of the homes go up for auction and then people buy them really cheap and just hold on to them and, you know, kind of watch development news. And then as they see, let's just say a John Hopkins, a Bank of America, or even an Under Armour doing development in that community, then they'll sell it to that developer and make money. So like, for instance, wow. Under Armour has invested about $5.5 billion in the Port Covington neighborhood of Baltimore. And they've been doing this for years. Um, I'm pretty sure at some point someone had property in Port Covington and me a pretty pity off of it, which there's nothing wrong with that. But like when you start talking about communities like East Baltimore and West Baltimore, John Hopkins is kind of taking over everything that they can in the East Baltimore. When it comes to West Baltimore, I found some research about Bank of America investing like almost a half a million dollars in development in that area. So it's just like, okay, we can we can find a way to have a better solution than what's happening now because people who have money are just you know gobbling up property at really low market value prices and everyone else who lives there just feel hopeless and at some point they're going to be pushed out or priced out so it's just like how can we how can we prevent that and i want to be able to share everything that i've learned and really pull some of the, the the residents the communities together and say all right you know we need to find a way to work together to really address this because i think everyone in their respective neighborhoods and organizations are trying to attack this on their own and there's no real hub for it so i'm hoping to become the hub i was gonna say is that now brick rolls exchange you're gonna be the hub for that yeah i mean that that's the goal i mean i think that whenever we take on projects in life like it has to have some real it has to have a purpose or at least for me it has to have a purpose like i want to know that you know whenever i get to the end of my life i can say you know I went out on a limb. I invested my time, my energy, my resources into solving this problem. And then I think that I'll be able to go home with a, a good, a good spirit and a good heart, knowing that I tried to change, you know, humanity and, and society in some way. I have maybe, maybe one or two more questions. Just you mentioned the government piece. What about other businesses in the neighborhoods? I know 
when we chatted a while ago, um, you had mentioned that there was another, a major co-working um, or company that was coming, maybe not right in that neighborhood, but somewhere in the, the same vicinity. So how have you thought about working with, you know, other businesses that maybe are a part of what residents see as the issue? Yeah, so I've been thinking about that a lot. And I mean, what I really want to do is, to, you know, form partnerships that will be beneficial for them and also beneficial for the space as well as the members of the space. Right. So on the block, for instance, there's like a diner and then there's like a bar and then a real estate company and also like a vet. So um, when it comes to being able to hold events, you know, definitely engaging the diner and figuring out, you know, what they can donate either to the space or even to some of the, the um, nonprofit organizations that are a part of the members for the space. So like, for instance, there's an organization that's doing great and amazing work in Baltimore. They're called PASS. And literally the organization is focused on creating uh, a year-long sports program for at-risk youth girls, right? And it's literally, um, it's an amazing organization, but they don't have resources. So it's just like, you know, figuring out you know, how I can help whoever the the businesses that are in the community around the building and help potentially partner them with, you know, some of the nonprofits and maybe even some of the social entrepreneurs. So it's not just about creating, you know, opportunities for the space, but also creating opportunities for the members as well as the, the businesses who really care about, you know, social impact, gentrification, you know, being one, being a community, things of that sort. I'm excited to see. I, I've been following. I've, I've I've seen your crowdfunding page. I know that you've been kind of building membership along the way. And um, I just think what you're doing is really dope. And I'm excited to see. I, I think you will be this kind of connector that the neighborhood needs and, and that the city needs to, you know, create this space for these really serious conversations that sounds like Baltimore needs to be thinking about um, as it's determining its future. And so kudos to you for having some foresight and you know i know that like many things in our lives we fall into these places these roles you know it's not necessarily originally part of our grand scheme um but you know it sounds like you were in the right space at the right time to be able to to respond to the need yeah i'm gonna double what sheena just said so (laughs) for sure (laughs) you're doing the work of the work in the 21st century way right uh yeah um and uh kind of uh social impact so um, we usually have like a closing, it's our first one. So we, we have a closing question that we like uh, to ask you. Okay. Um, which is, um, so kind of with that kind of conversation we had around justification in mind, um, what do you think we need to do to build a new black city? Oh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I'm going to say the first thing is, is that we, need to have way more faith in ourselves and way more faith in each other. And what I mean by that is that the consistent stereotype that you can't support black business because they don't have their stuff together or, you know, they're not as polished. Um, I, I think, and sometimes we're really even hard on ourselves on what we should be able to present and how we should serve other people. I think that once we have that internal conversation with ourselves and our businesses and our organizations, as well as having that conversation with other black entrepreneurs and black community organizers and, and purpose driven professionals, like we really can start doing some dope stuff. Like, but I think we just need to get over that barrier. And then when you start 
start talking about, you know, Black History Month and, you know, just all the social and psychological systems that started during slavery, this could be a whole conversation, but we need to break through that. Yeah, we really need to break through that and and really find ways that we can come together. It's going to take more than just buying Black, right, as an initiative. Like, we really need to believe down in our soul that we are capable, we are, you know, decent, loyal, honest business people, decent, loyal, honest community organizers and that we can trust each other to actually do the things that we say we're going to do. So I think until we do that, when we do that, I should say, mm-hmm. that's when we'll be able to, to build a new black city. All right. Well, that's a word. Yeah. I'll say <laughs> Oh, that. <laughs> okay, um, you want to share a little bit of a, uh, for folks that are listening and watching um, just, uh, where they can find you? How do they follow you and kind of get updates on what's happening? Right now, the best way to catch me is IG. Um, you know, right now I'm running the Brick Rose Exchange account um, until I find some type of intern or something. Um, my personal profile is open. You can find me at Bianca J. Jackson. Um, I'm just in this space where I just want to be open, put out there to the world what we're doing in the space and just put out there who I am as a person. And if you vibe with it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. <laughs> but I'm going to keep doing this work every day and that's just what it's going to be. Well, Bianca, thank you so much. Um, thank you for, for riding with us through our um, technical difficulties. Um, this is our first show. So thank you for helping us kick off these, <laughs> these important. I had no idea. You guys are real, real professional. I got like the email. I was like, okay, like I know what time they're going to call me. I know the process. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. No, well, no. congratulations with yeah. this being the first show. Yeah. Please send folks to us if there are other people that you know, out there that are um, creating new ways to build community around the country. We want to have them on because we we know that there's really a lot of strength in people telling their stories. Hopefully tonight you inspired someone else to go on, answer the call that they might have been ignoring. And we want to continue. that. So thank you so much for being brief and jumping out there with us. And for all y'all who go to Baltimore and go visit. You gotta go check it out. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me, ladies. Have a wonderful night. All right. Have a good night.